Several years ago now, we did a sermon series called, I Wish I'd Heard a Sermon On. And then the congregation gave us their suggestions, what are those things you'd wish you'd heard a sermon on? And then we, we preached through those suggestions. Now, we got some, some really great suggestions. And then we also uh, got some uh, interesting ones, perhaps. Um, one of my favorites was someone who wrote in, I wish I heard, I'd heard a sermon on things a Christian should never do. And I thought, well, that'll be a fun morning. Well, <laughs> probably great for newcomers too. You know, and it kind of got me wondering, like, what, what would the outline of that sermon be? You know, point one, don't have fun ever, right? <laughs> point two, go home, right? Uh, you know, it's just sort of like, well, I'm not sure I understand that. Well, interestingly enough, uh, over the last month or so, I was listening to a sermon that made me realize that perhaps I'd missed the point. Perhaps I'd missed the point. Why? Because it turns out that Jesus was actually fond of saying no, just not for the reasons we might expect. Scriptures are full of what we could call beautiful no's. No's where Jesus comes to us and says, hey, um, everything is different now. If you follow me, your, your, your life is different. My grace changes everything. So now there are some things that you ought never do. Not so that you can show me how much you love me, but that you might know how much I love you. We thought about this last week using the picture of the umbrella in the rain. God's love, we said, is like the most torrential downpour you have ever been caught in in your entire life, where the heavens just open and you are drenched like you've been in a shower. And yet so often as we seek to follow the Lord, we step out into this rainstorm and put an umbrella up. An umbrella of doubt, of worry, of fear, of of sin. Something that we're having in our lives that stops us experiencing the full measure of God's love for us. Now, of course, it keeps raining. (laughs) And the beautiful thing about God's grace is eventually it becomes a hurricane and will blow all your umbrellas away. But Jesus comes to us and says, friends, here's a beautiful no. Put down the umbrellas in your life. They're stopping you from experiencing my love for you. And over the next few weeks, we're going to take a look at what some of these umbrellas are, how we can put them away and experience God's love on a day-to-day basis. And today, we start with what we could call the umbrella of worry. How worry stops us from experiencing God's love in our lives. The title of this morning's sermon is Enough for One Day. Stress, worry, anxiety. We have enough for one day. Jesus is preaching. It's part of the Sermon on the Mount, and his congregation is hanging on every word. And in the previous chapters, he's been addressing a whole host of very earthy, very practical, helpful topics. And then he says, oh yeah, uh, and one, one more thing, uh, one more thing, verse 25, um, don't forget, don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Uh, isn't that a beautiful no? The term he uses is an interesting one. The term translated anxious here literally means to be divided into parts. To come apart at the seams as you're pulled in different 
directions. And so Jesus is saying to us, don't let your life fall apart. Don't be dragged in so many different directions that you feel like you're coming apart at the seams. If you're a Christian this morning, if you believe in Jesus Christ, he is saying, you don't need to worry. You don't need to stress. You don't need to be anxious. If you have faith in Jesus this morning, the gospel holds before us a vision of life that is free, free from all fretting and from all fear. It's a beautiful vision of what our lives could be. Jesus is saying you don't need to be anxious about anything. Now, I don't know how that hits you. Um, some of you, at least, must be kind of thinking and feeling what I'm thinking and feeling when Jesus says, you know, don't be anxious, which is basically, um, Jesus, I'm not sure you understand my life. <laughs> don't be pulled apart in different directions. Um, I don't think you understood Northern Virginia in the 21st century. Um, uh, my life, friends, my life is just really busy. Now, I'm not saying that to try and, like, justify my existence or, like, seem important. I don't mean it in that way. I'm just, like, stating the raw facts. My life is, is really full. I live in the town with the second worst commute in the nation. Um, I have a job that requires a huge amount of emotional energy and emotional drive and emotional uh, stamina. I'm doing my best to try and keep on top of email and keep up with world events. I'm doing my best to, you know, eat right, sleep right, get enough exercise. I'm really trying to love my wife well. It's her birthday today, so running around presents cards. Um, I'm struggling my way through raising four kids. Um, I kid you not, no, no joke, I left one of them somewhere this week. <laughs> right? <laughs> Last week's sermon was like a prophecy, you know? Um, and I found myself like, uh, things bad parents say, hashtag, um, I left her in a pretty good place. You know, um, sorry, like, um, and of course, I left the one Rosie said I would leave. So you know, anyway, um, you know, struggling to raise these uh, four kids. Um, I'm also just in life. I'm trying to spend time with the Lord, and I'm trying to see friends, and I'm trying to remember to send my sister a card, and I've got some bills to pay, and I really need to change my AC filters, and um, I have a leak in the basement that I need somebody to come and help me out with, right? There's just a lot going on in my life, and I'm, I'm actually not looking for sympathy, because I know your life's exactly the same way. You're dealing with all these things, and, and more. The sports, and carpool, getting the car inspection, paying off that credit card, going on that first date or remembering your anniversary. Our lives are full and we haven't even got to like the real messy stuff yet. You know, the stuff that really weighs us down, that gives us that kind of dark night of the soul. We haven't got to those fears we all harbor about, you know, do I have what it takes? Am I going to be able to keep this job? Is my marriage going to make it? Will I be left alone? How will my kids turn out? Or just that vague and generic sense of foreboding that something bad's about to happen that those of us who struggle with anxiety can resonate with. I invite you just now, actually, to take your worship guide and just, you know, right beside the scripture reading and sermon, jot down some of the things you're worried about. You know, as, as, we, as you sit here in these pews just now, just jot down on this bit of paper, what, what are the, some of the things that are making you anxious? And, and throughout the course of the sermon, as new ones come to mind, jot them down as well. 
What, what are you worried about just now? All the things we've mentioned, perhaps it's aging parents, perhaps it's this election, all kinds of things for us to be anxious about. The pace of modern life is stretching many of us beyond our limits. And so we run here, there, and everywhere trying to keep on top of it all, we do find that we are pulled apart as we move in so many different directions. And many of us are paying the hard and painful price in the currency of worry, stress, anxiety. Now, into all, Jesus says, put the umbrella away. Put the umbrella away. Of course I understand your life. Jesus says. Of course I understand your life. This is actually why I'm telling you not to be anxious. I understand your life and see that you need this word. You need me to address this topic. You need me to calm your fears, calm your worries, to ease your anxieties. And so, in fact, here are six reasons you don't need to be anxious. Now, I'm worried we're going to get through them. So, let's go, right? Six reasons to put the umbrella of worry away. Reason number one, you don't need to be anxious. If you believe in Jesus Christ this morning, you don't need to be anxious because there's more to life. There's more to life. Look with me at verse 25. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more, there are the key words, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Now understand here, Jesus isn't sort of belittling our problems. He's not mocking us and saying, oh, you know, you're so upset about something that's not a big deal. He's not not doing that at all. He's not belittling, belittling our problems, but he is calling us to have perspective. Perspective. He's saying, you know, So often, we get wrapped around the axle and really uptight about things that aren't even all that important to us. The stress of the commute that morning would be one example, or the example Jesus uses of food and clothing. Interesting examples, I think, because we worry a lot less than his original readers would have worried about food and clothing. Or we should do in any regard. Because they would have worried that they would have a meal in their bellies and a shirt on their back. They had a lot more to worry about than we do. And yet, have we not invented a whole brave new world or perhaps not very brave new world of worry around food and clothing? So, for example, food. We don't worry that we're going to have a meal in our bellies. But now we stress about whether we ate enough fruits and vegetables. Did you eat enough fish? You know, that's good for your brain. Uh, did you drink enough water? Gallons a day, uh, apparently. Uh, you can do gluten-free. You can do dairy-free. You can do sugar-free. You can do uh, free-range, grass-fed, paleo. Uh, thinking about all the options are much more likely to give me a heart attack than bacon ever is. Right? <laughs> it's just so stressful. Our diet so stressful. Um, or, or think about clothing. The brave new world of worry we've invented around that. Uh, most of us are, are, are blessed not to worry about whether we'll have a shirt on our backs. But now we're stressed about like what's hip, what's appropriate, what's not. Right? I don't know. But it keeps changing and then coming back again. And I know that it's expensive. And I know that if I'm not dressed appropriately, I feel a little bit insecure. Right? 
It's this brand new world of worry where we obsess about our health and what we would wear, our weight and our appearance, more than any other culture in the history of the world. And Jesus is saying, there's more to life. There's more, there's more to life. You know, no one on their deathbed ever said, I wish I'd eaten more free-range chicken. <laughs> Or I wish I'd obsessed about my appearance a little more. And so Jesus is saying, if these things aren't even ultimately that important to you in the long run, why do you spend so much time worrying about them today? He's, he's redirecting our perspective to try and focus us upon those things that matter most, that we might give our time and attention to them, that we would spend our days and our emotions on those things that we will never regret. He's saying, do not be anxious, friends, because there's, there's more to life. Reason two, do not be anxious, Jesus says, because there's also more to you. Don't be anxious because there's, there's more to you. Uh, look at verse 26 with me. Look at the birds of the air, Jesus says. His preaching is always so full of illustrations. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Here's the key phrase. You see it? Are you not of more value than they? Are you not of more value than they? One commentator says, Let the birds and the squirrels be your preachers. If God looks after them, how will he not also look after you, given that you are so much more valuable to him than they are? Uh, I, married to Rosie, we have these four kids, and in our house also lives our pet cat called Haggis, right? Now, Haggis is a great cat, and we look after her and try and steward her as well as we can as part of God's good creation. However, if I hit upon, like, financial straits, guess who's going first? (laughs) Right? Now, it's interesting, because, you know, financially, the best thing to do would actually be to get rid of a child, right? Because Haggis costs me nothing in tuition, right? Um, emotionally, haggis costs me no drama, right? There are lots of reasons why it might be more convenient to get rid of someone else first. But I'm going to get rid of haggis every single time. Why? Because you guys are my beloved sons. And with you, I am well pleased. And my girls are my beloved daughters. And with them, I am well pleased. They're a delight to my soul. Of course, I'm going to look after haggis. But of course I'm going to look after them. And in the same way Jesus is saying, guys, this is, this is laughable. Look at the birds. Look out your window. And when you see them peering in, hear them say, what are you so worried about? <laughs> hear them say this word from Christ. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Does he not look at you in the gospel and say, you're my beloved son, you're my beloved daughter, and with you I am well pleased. Of course I'm going to care for the birds, but you bet I'm going to care for you. Don't be anxious. There's more to you. Third reason we get in our text is why we shouldn't worry. Don't be anxious because, verse 27, worrying is pointless. Worrying is pointless. You see it there? Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of life? What good does it do? Which of you can even add 60 minutes to his life? 
Worrying isn't helpful. Worrying is unproductive. It is counterproductive. You never look back, one preacher says, you never look back on hard times and think, man, worry really got me through. You know? So junior high, it was rough, but I worried my way through it. You know? Or money was tight, but worry came up big. You know? A really rocky season in my marriage, but worry steadied that ship. He says, no doctor ever stood at the bedside and said, sir, I'm sorry, all we can do now is worry, right? (laughs) Does no good, accomplishes nothing, it's unproductive, it's counterproductive. And Jesus is saying, your anxiety accomplishes nothing, it can't even add a single hour to your life. And I love that he says that, because this is Jesus who uh, died and rose again. And he's, see what I can do? I can die and rise. You can't even add 60 minutes. So why would you spend so much time worrying about it? Don't be anxious. Worrying is pointless, Jesus says. Instead, remember reason four. Don't be anxious because, verse 28, God can be trusted. God can be trusted. Why are you anxious about clothing, he says? Consider the lilies of the field. Verse 29, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. I I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O, you see these words, O you of little faith. He reminds us of God's might and of God's power and says, when you're tempted to worry, consider the lilies of the field. Consider the lilies of the field. See what God does for something that's alive today and burned tomorrow. Of course he's going to care for you. You can trust that he'll care for you. Can't you? To which we reply, sometimes. Or here's here's how it often plays out. I am very confident, complete trust that God's going to provide for you. Right? I doubt that he's going to provide for me. You know, uh, I don't doubt his might, his power, his goodness. I, there's just something insecure in my own soul. And, and I'm sure many of you feel the same way. I'm sure you feel very confident that the Lord's going to care for me. But you have some struggles of your own about which you're not so sure. We want to believe in his might and in his goodness, but we doubt it and we tug on Superman's cape. And so, Jesus calls us a name. You see it in verse 30? He says... Oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. In the Greek language in which the New Testament was written, this phrase is just one word. One word that Jesus himself made up. It doesn't appear in in any other ancient literature. And literally, it could be translated as saying, you little faither. It's a name. You little faither. That is the title I am giving you. You don't have control of this, but God has control of this. And you can trust, you can be assured that he won't let you down. See, we struggle so much. In fact, in this era, we have an addiction when it comes to this kind of illusion of control, that that we would be in control. Uh, and that we get so tense and we get so anxious because deep down there's this nagging reality that we know we're, we're really not. And there's freedom in coming to say to the Lord, 
I am not in control of my life. God is. That's really hard for DC people. Repeat it after me. I am not in control of my life. God is. And we've got we to gotta, we gotta believe that. Ever since Eden, we've struggled to believe that God will really care for us. Eve's sin is our sin, doubting that God really has our best interests in heart. But the cross assures us that he does. And the cross assures us that he will care for us. That we can trust him. So we don't want to be little faithers. We want to trust all of our worries, all of our concerns to him. Don't be anxious, Jesus says. God can be trusted. Now, going along with this reason, along with point four comes point five. It's almost the other side of the coin, if you like, where he says, don't be anxious, yes, because God can be trusted, but also because God knows what you need. God knows what you need. Look at verse 31. Don't be anxious, he says again, repeats that phrase again and again. Do not be anxious, saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear. For the Gentiles seek after these things, and here's the key phrase, and your heavenly Father, you see it there, knows that you need them all. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. In other words, God cares about you, but God, God also knows what he's doing. God is good, in that he desires to care for you, but he's also wise in that he knows how to care for you. So if there's anything that you need, he will bring it to you. And if he hasn't brought it to you, we need the faith to believe that means we didn't really need it. John Newton says, everything is necessary that God sends. Nothing can be necessary that he withholds. Isn't that good? If you need it, the Lord will send it. If you don't need it, he won't. And we need the faith to believe that he knows the difference between those two things. And this principle plays out in some very small ways and in some really big ways. A couple quick examples. Very small. I slept terribly last night, which is really unlike me. I normally sleep like a rock, right? I just go to bed, hit the pillow, I'm out till the alarm rings the next morning. But last night, for whatever reason, slept really badly. Woke up in the morning, uh, eventually, kind of after that tossing and turning experience. And honestly, I woke up to this line from my sermon. If you needed it, I'd have given it to you. If I didn't, you didn't need it. So rather than mope around and feel sorry for myself for the morning, I got up and thought, okay, game day, let's go, right? The Lord's given me all that I need. And maybe in weakness, his, his, his strength will be perfected. I trust him with this small thing. But can we lean into how this is even true in, in, in more profound ways? It's true of sleep, but it's even true of life. I mean, life itself. Who knows, perhaps you're struggling right now with that grim diagnosis that has come. Eventually, every single one of us will. Every single one of us will come to that point if the Lord doesn't return first, where even our health and strength won't be provided for us anymore. And Jesus is saying, yeah, you can trust me to provide you with everything that you need so long as you need it. So do you know what? I'm going to live forever until God decides it's time for me to die. And then I'm going to live again. 
But it's this reality that, yeah, I'll have health and strength to do all that God wants me to do in this life as long as he wants me in this life. And when he takes that from me too, I'm going to need the faith, the faith to believe that I no longer need it. From the small things to the big things, we trust that the Lord knows what he's doing from life first cry to final breath. Jesus commands my destiny. God knows what he's doing. Don't be anxious he can be trusted. For those of you who are struggling with this in a, a particular way this morning, as, as I reflected on it this week, you know, if you're really struggling with some of those, those big hard things in life, it, it came to mind of uh, when my kids were wee and you'd take them to get vaccinations at the doctor, right? And you'd go in and my wife would hold them and she'd be talking to them and she'd be cuddling with them and cooing with them. And then when it came time for the doctor to stick a massive needle in their lovely fat thighs, she'd hand them to me, right? <laughs> and I would sort of hold them down. And as soon as the doctor puts the injection in, they'd look at you like, what have you done? <laughs> I thought I could trust you, <laughs> you know? I thought we were on this beautiful journey of life. Like, what has is, what is happened to us, you know? Um, because they didn't know that even as I was holding them down, I was holding them, right? And that this moment of pain was for their good. One preacher says, if you're really struggling this morning, there's, there's an invisible good that is more real than the visible evil you're experiencing. God may be holding you down, but he's also holding you And in the long run, we believe that all things will work together for good. He's promised to provide everything we need until it's time to take us home. So don't be anxious. God knows what you need. Sixth, final reason Jesus gives us in this text comes in verse 33 where he said, 33 and 34, where he says, don't be anxious because you guys have enough for one day. You have enough for one day. 33, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. Jesus is redirecting our attention from the things of the day to the things of God. He's saying, stop looking looking at the umbrella, start looking at the rain. So don't be filled with worry, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Be filled with all the fullness of God, and you'll find that all the rest will take care of itself. At verse 34, he continues, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You have enough for one day, so don't borrow trouble from tomorrow. Trust the unknowns of tomorrow to the God that you know today. But even here, there's a promise, isn't there? there there's a promise. A promise of, of how the Lord provides grace for us. Reminds me of his Old Testament people, Exodus chapter 14. The Israelites are, are wandering through the wilderness and they have wandered with certainly not exemplary faith. They have grumbled, they have complained, they have trusted, then they have grumbled and complained, and they've trusted and they've grumbled, and it's kind of like us. And uh, the Lord has promised to provide for their physical needs, and one of the ways in which he does this in Exodus 14 is he provides food for them. Remember, manna from heaven comes down anew each day that they might take, eat, and live. But do you remember that he never provided more than one day at a time? 
They, they were told not to gather, not to hoard up these resources that they might say have enough for the week ahead. If they tried to do that, the manna went bad. Instead, the Lord said, no, I need you to trust that I am going to provide for your needs on a daily basis. I need you to trust that I will provide grace like manna so that you will have enough for one day. <laughs> so that you will have enough for one day. And so it is that that grace works its way out in our lives. Not just because we have enough troubles for one day, but because we have enough grace for one day. You can't deal with tomorrow's troubles today because you don't have the grace that you need to do it. And if you try, you'll find that the manna goes bad. Instead, we're to trust tomorrow to him. Whatever it brings, be it medical reports or accidents or jobs or tests or first dates or failures or... Uh, you know, hard conversations or criticisms or, or even death, we can trust that we'll have the grace we need to see it when it comes to us. Even death, we say, and we say, yeah, even death. Why? Um, because there was another child who was held down by his father. Another child who is held down under the weight of God's wrath poured out on sin. The only difference is that as God held Christ down, he didn't also hold him. He released him to experience and conquer all of our fears so that we might have grace for eternity, but also grace for today. You have enough for one day. You have enough grace when you're tempted to be anxious Say to yourself, I got enough for one day. I got enough for one day. Do not be anxious, Jesus says. It's a beautiful no. Can you, can you imagine that life? Can you imagine if you were never stressed about anything? If you never worried about anything? If you weren't anxious about anything? Jesus says, you have that life. I pray that that life would have you. Let's do so together, just now. Father, you do understand our lives. And into our busyness and our worries and our anxieties, you say, beloved, put the umbrella away. We look at our list of worries, perhaps those very things that we've jotted down in our worship guides. And Lord, they, they are significant. They are serious. Um, but we also hear you say, there's more to life. It's more to us. Worrying is pointless. You can be trusted. You know what we need and we have enough for one day. So help us to put this umbrella away, we pray, that we may enjoy the reign of your love and find our souls filled with all your fullness, that the gospel life that we have might indeed have us. We pray in Christ's matchless name. Amen.